The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Afternoons with Mike on The Shepherd, heard across the Shepherd Radio Network in Orlando, also Ocala, the Villages, and our friends in Gainesville. We welcome you all. My guest is on the line with me today. Andy Berger is who I will be talking with. Andy is a survivor, an amazing survivor, and her story is also amazing uh, in uh, and you're going to get to hear that story today, uh, a, a survivor of sex trafficking, human trafficking, at a shockingly young age. And she now leads a ministry, and we are so grateful to have Andy Berger, uh, founder of Voices Against Trafficking, with us today. Welcome, Andy. I'm so glad you're here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Well, we are uh, always shocked I, we, being parents, are always shocked. I think there are a lot of parents, Andy, that still kind of choose, maybe, to, to go the old adage of the ostrich and to bury our head in the sand and act like we, we don't see anything or it can't be all that bad. But the truth of it is, it is there and it is all that bad, if not worse. Isn't that correct? That is correct. Uh, even in this country where we have so many good people, uh, our missing child rate is up. And every 40 seconds, Mike, a child in this country, 18 years and under, is abducted. That means they're taken or they're lured into something that seems safe, maybe a summer job or a chance to be a model or whatever it is. So it's uh, definitely different. And what they're taken into, I think a lot of people historically would think, of uh, that kind of being taken or being uh, noticed by an adult and uh, getting into some stuff that they shouldn't be getting into. they That is one a terrible aspect of that. But the trafficking thing where these kids are baited and then kind of grabbed and in many cases abducted, what mm-hmm. what is left for them is a world of what would be nothing less than prostitution, uh, nothing less than a, a day in and day out of slavery. So it is not wrong to use the word slavery when we are talking about human trafficking in any sense of the word. That's correct. We call it 21st century slavery because it is the worst time uh, or the worst period volume of, of slavery than we've ever had since the beginning of this country. You know, oh. so... It didn't just start with America. It started, you know, way, way, way back. But a lot of people are just waking up to the fact that it does happen. And it happens in every neighborhood and every community. We know that. We have enough statistics and reports that, you know, think about what we don't know, Mike. And that's one of the issues is, you know, getting people aware that this does happen. And it it can happen down the street from you or it can happen in the next town. But it does happen. So what I'm going to be asking all of our listeners, as you're hearing Andy's story, uh, this is not intended to bring fear, but to bring awareness. This is not intended to cause you uh, to just clamp up and uh, your child to never get to go outside again. Of course not. But we do need to have our eyes open to the threats that are in the world 
to the enemy's threats, which he would love. The Bible teaches us that Satan would love to kill, steal, and destroy. And sadly, that's what he's doing. Uh, and a lot of parents, again, are are just now maybe waking up to this reality. Tell us a little bit about your story, if you can. I know it started when you were just a very young girl, and it was not a distant relative that brought you into this lifestyle. No, it wasn't. Before there was a term called human trafficking, before people were really even admitting that, you know, child abuse existed uh, in the early 60s and 70s, I was actually uh, trafficked by immediate uh, family members, my birth mother, birth father, brother, and some extended family members from the ages of six months to 17 years old. Oh, my goodness. Now, a lot, and, of people, a lot of people are saying, you know, it's six months and they're already doing this grooming thing and getting, getting people used to being around you and, and all of that. that. That is such a horrible thought that at that age, they were already having such thoughts about you. Absolutely. And, you know, there, there's depraved nature. We, we were familiar with that, you know, oh, well, that guy's just weird or, you know, they have uh, pedophilia tendencies or whatever, but there, there is evil. And actually, you know, my birth mother went to church on and off and would drag us once in a while. And so, and she was a teacher, so she looked normal. She acted normal. We had this great image. But by the age of five, the uh, physical, sexual touching, torture, all that stuff that went on, was so great. I just wanted to die. And, and I was told that my life could be taken out any time. Uh, so I went to the curb of my house and I thought, you know, I'm just going to jump in front of the first car going fast enough. And then at least no one will touch me or hurt me or beat me or any of that other stuff. Oh, Lord. You know, yeah, I was so desperate. Um, and when you're pounded on and you're told you're the problem, you're the mistake that can't be returned and that, you know, all of these things as a little five-year-old, it's overwhelming and you know, you're trapped. And so as I sat there, no car came by on that normally busy street and I looked into the sky and it was so blue and so big. And I thought, wow, you know, I wonder uh, who made this? You know, how big is this person or this being that made this guy? How far does it go? And are they bigger than the people hurting me? And that's where I heard God's voice in my heart. And he said, this is not the plan I have for you. Suicide is not the answer. Mm. And I don't know how I would have known that word suicide anyway, because I wouldn't have heard it. Uh, so in my heart, I trusted that voice. You know, for other people, it might be something else. But for me, uh, I went up to the garage and I leaned against the door and I just looked into that sky and I said, if you keep me alive, I'll do whatever you call me to do. Not oh. knowing, of course, how painful and how horrific the journey would be. But that's exactly what I said. And you were going to be looking at that lifestyle for 12 additional years past that point. Yes. And a couple of more attempts when I felt like, you know, I was I was. Uh, stuck in a room for three months during summer. I wasn't allowed to come out and all that kind of stuff. It, things were just bad. And of course, no one knew. And the people that suspected, well, we don't want to get involved. We, we don't want to be wrong, embarrassed if we're wrong, or we don't want somebody to be mad at me. And I didn't find out till years later, there were a couple people that suspected things. They just didn't have the courage to, to speak at that time. Mm. And then by the time I was 17, that was the last time my birth mother tried to choke me to death. Your own mother, your birth mother uh -huh. tried to choke you. 
Yep. Again, these are unthinkable images. And for you, they're not just images. They are memories. And it is, it's heartbreaking. It, it really is. I have interviewed a number of people like yourself, Andy, and I just want you to know, uh, before we began uh, our program today, I was talking with Andy before, and as a dad of three daughters and one son, uh, when I hear these stories, because it's not just the women that are trafficked, there are young boys that are trafficked as well. When I hear yeah. these stories, it, it it makes me ill. It it It's hard. It, and I think I get it. I get why a lot of people don't want to hear it. But the truth of it is, this was a, a non-negotiable for you. You had to live it. And That's right. I didn't have a choice. There was no other family that was safe or that we were allowed to contact or be in contact with. During these 17 years, or 16 and a half years exactly, uh, that that you had, and of course some of those years would be even beyond what you could actually remember. So really it was your first life, you know, all of your first life, all of your first memories were wrapped up around this kind of behavior by your parents of taking you and, and presenting you to people. That, that's all you knew, right? That's all I knew. I didn't know what other people did. I didn't know what was really normal. Even if you think something is wrong, you know, my first memory, probably I was three of my birth mother was being chased by her with a butcher knife in her hand, screaming and yelling that she was going to kill us because my birth brother and I had the audacity to put our hands on the wallpaper uh, by the kitchen. And mm. You know, so people can say, oh, well, she was mentally ill. That doesn't that not necessarily, but that doesn't excuse adult behavior, irrational behavior or Absolutely anger towards right. the child. Yeah, it does. It. So uh, you're coming along. Uh, you're you're a young girl now. You've got all of these things. Did you ever have glimmers of hope in those besides that one event that happened when the Lord spoke to your heart? Did you have other I, points yeah. where you saw some light at the end of the tunnel? I did. You know, one of the, the best memories I have uh, in sixth grade was my teacher who taught me how to write, who taught me how to express myself uh, in uh, in words. And I would write poems and little prayers to God and, you know, little little song things that I kept hidden. You know, it was just my way of expressing myself. And then, uh, of course, school became that area where I could actually get affirmation and accelerate if I was if I did all my work, if I was smarter, if I worked harder, if I, you know, cleaned up the, the classroom, whatever it was, I knew that if I could do all those things, that somewhere somebody would like me or want me, right? That was a very primitive kind of expectation because I didn't have anything in my bank. I had nothing, mm -hmm. but I had Jesus. You know, I had God in my life, and I had this blind faith that there was someone out there who did love me, if only I could live long enough to find it. And so I did well in school and then went to college, finished early, and I thought, you know, uh, what can I do to help other kids so they wouldn't be like me? It was the first time I saw how other kids had lived, and I was shell-shocked half of my college years, half of the three years, but the other half was figuring out how do I want to live, and I knew I never wanted to be like those people. I actually tried to... Um, get sterilized because I thought the only way to stop this evil in my family in generations probably, but I don't know for sure, uh, would be to never have children of my own. Uh, but of course, at 19, no one would do that. But that's how desperate I was to make sure that I never passed on the evil. Wow. 
Now, this lasted in your life until you were 17. What was the, yeah. uh, what was the end of this, uh, this season? What was that like for you? What, what happened that made you know that you're, not, you're no longer going back to it, you no longer have to go back? Well, I was pretty naive. I was mentally ahead, Mike, but pretty naive. And so I thought, well, uh, after the last attempt to to take my life, I I ran out of the house and I realized I have no money. I have no friends. I have nowhere to go. I I have no safe family to go to. So, you know, I ended up feeling like a coward and a failure having to go back into that house till I I graduated high school. And then once I was at college, um, I had to work with the self-talk and the voice in my head that told me I was uh, literally told I was too disgusting for anyone to love or to live with, Mm, you know, and and I'd be lucky if some guy picked me up off the street and took me home kind of thing. So I had to work through some of that with no counseling, no guide, you know, no pastor, didn't have a church. But once I got through college and I had succeeded, I had a little bit of confidence and then I decided I would go to law school. And and I would learn how to protect kids, only to find out that that wasn't really the kind of justice I was looking for when I when I uh, finished. And I decided I'd go back to business and figure out a better way to help others mm-hmm. because I was still trying to help myself. And I didn't understand why I was so different or why the people that should have loved me hated me so much. Now, was awareness growing? Could you be were you aware, cognizant of the fact that at some point, as you're now in, in your college years, that awareness about all of this problem was developing and people were waking up? Were you, did, did that ever come through to you? That never really did because people, so I graduated in the early 80s. I finished law school in 88. So Mm. there was some awareness, but very little. Like it was a rare case, kind of like that special uncle nobody talked about, you know. Uh, Well, we're not going to talk about him, you know, that kind of thing, if, if there was an issue in the family. But socially and even in the legal circles, you didn't hear about these cases. You did hear more about child abuse, but then I saw judges sending kids back to the parents because they felt all kids belong with their mom or dad, even mm. if they were the abusers. So culturally, uh, nobody was really looking at this issue. I didn't even have the words for it till much later in life until I went to counseling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. And then I think everyone who's hearing your story would want to know, what was the outcome for your birth parents? What happened to them? Well, in California at that time, um, I really didn't have resources to pursue. I don't even know if I thought about um, thought about suing them because I wanted to just get away, like as far away from them as I could and to have as little contact as possible. But in some of the more conservative churches, it's like, well, you have to honor your father and your mother and all of this. And I was very confused about that whole situation. I didn't want to disappoint God. So there's the conflict. And yet um, by keeping contact with them, it was continuing to re-traumatize me. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a it was a battle. And at the end of the day, um, I just decided at one point that uh, she had our, my birth mother had already threatened to sue me, take everything I had. Imagine threatening a college student with no money, right? Wow. But a five-page, she had a lawyer. She was going to make sure I was outed as a as a psycho and all of this stuff. So I literally called an aunt I had not talked to for probably 10 years. And, I, and I'm at a payphone in Los Angeles, and I said, look, I know this will be hard for you to hear because she's your sister. But here's the thing. 
I got this letter. She's threatening me again. I've already called and talked to the police. And I said, if I die prematurely, this is your number one suspect. Can you imagine one of your daughters being college age and having to make that phone call? Oh, no, no. It's unreal. And did she believe you? She did. She was the one safe person uh, I could talk to for about a year before my birth mother got to her. And then things, you know, it, it was 40 years before I heard from her again. Wow. Whatever happened to her in the end? Well, uh, my aunt is uh, a strapping 92 years old, so she's still around. And uh, when she read my book that came out, she just was uh, just, you know, overwrought with, with pain and guilt and all that about not being able to be there, which was not her fault. My birth mother finally died two years ago. Uh, she was the last of the predators to die. So I'm 60, and think about having to live 60 years never knowing for sure if mm -hmm. one of the people who hurt you will show up in your neighborhood or in your town or in your state or find you again because oh. she always threatened to find me. That is unreal. I am so sorry. What a what an unbelievable story. But I, I love the fact that you found solace in your end, and she was actually a help to you. And that's the way that I believe that all of us, we just need to be aware because none of us know when we might not be the recipient of a phone call from somebody that would be just like you, somebody that's just, um, exactly. you know, running and afraid. And I, I, I just pray that our eyes are open more and more to uh, what are the, um, the real situations out there. Because, again, it's in your case, it was your own birth mother and father that were the abusers as wild and it's just ridiculous to think about it. it makes no sense at all but that's what happened andy berger is the founder of voices against trafficking v-a-t and she's my guest today we'll be back with her in a moment don't go away this is afternoons with mike and you're on the shepherd Back again here in segment two on Afternoons with Mike, talking with Andy Berger with uh, Voices Against Trafficking. Uh, Andy, just an unbelievable story, 17 years, the first 17 years of her life thrust into uh, human trafficking, uh, exploited really by her birth mother and father, and spent the sad part about your story that we heard in segment one was that there was never really a good resolve with your own parents. There was never really a point where they came to you and said, we are so sorry, please forgive us. That never happened, right? No, that never happened. That wouldn't even occur to them to think that. Oh, that is so heartbreaking. Uh, one of the things that I think that in the break we were talking about, uh, that you needed, that everyone that is in this scenario that you found yourself, they all need hope. And that would be, in your life, a word that I'm sure you weren't, uh, until you were in college, until you began to see some things, that wasn't a word that was in abundant supply in your life, right? No, I didn't even understand how God would work it out. I just, I think I blindly had that faith that I, if I followed, if I did the right things, or, you know, somehow in my in my very childlike prayers that things would work out somewhere, I just kept moving, and I didn't, I didn't look back. Mm. You know, you told us a story at age five when you had that encounter with God, 
And here it happened at a very sad moment when you were contemplating throwing yourself into a car, uh, the path of a car to commit suicide and be out of all of the pain and all of the, the torture that you were going through. But, but God showed up. And I, w- I wonder how many times we're able to say on this program, but God changed everything. And he did that even in a five-year-old way for you. You understood that it wasn't his will. And then later in life, you were to learn that more intimately with the Lord and more personally. Tell us about how you came into your relationship with the Lord as it is today. Oh, yes. I love this part. So I shockingly married an abusive husband in my first marriage. And of course, excuse me, I've been talking a lot. Um, that, that never works out very well when people are hurt like I was. But at any rate, one of the, the things that came out of that was a friend took me to a chapel and she said, there's a great speaker, uh, and she's, she's done a lot of great things and a lot of healing, and I want you to go. So we went, and we were late, and so there were only two seats, uh, both in the front pew of this tiny little chapel. And, of course, that speaker that day was exactly who God wanted me to hear, because for two hours, I just I cried through the whole thing. And, and I don't even know how it started, but at the end when she was praying for people, she talked about how, how God had been hearing uh, someone's cries for years and, and understood the pain and and he he was healing this person, but it would be in layers because it was complicated, but that he, he had not forgotten this person. And she said things that about my life that only God could have told her. And so at the end of all of this, I'm just, I'm weeping and I I'm, don't even know what to do. And she comes down and she sits next to me. People had left the chapel and she put her arms around me and started rocking me. She never said a word. She just started rocking me back and forth. And in that moment, I thought, wow, this must be what it's like when a, a real mother comforts her child. Mm. And I had never known that. Mm. And when I left that day, I was driving home. And my friend and I had gone in separate cars. I was driving home, and I felt Jesus' presence so intensely. I felt like people could see the light in my car because that feeling of comfort was just so extraordinary for me. And I knew that there was a, a, a way to feel God, not just know Him blindly, not just to know Jesus blindly, but to feel, to experience them. And that kind of began the journey. And I was invited to two other churches, two different ones, in a period of maybe three months after that. And the same thing happened, confirmation from the speaker, the pastor, whoever it was, um, that this was a process and it was going to take time, but that God uh, knew me and that he was healing me. And you were able to recognize that the Lord, that same Lord that spoke to you when you were five years old was indeed still watching. And, oh, you know, we go through things in this life. And I know uh, I just recently lost my mom. And 93 years old, I was able to keep uh, her in my life. And, And my mom was something different than what you experienced. And I am so sorry. I I just am so deeply sorry that you did not have that kind of comfort that, um, that you experienced there with those pastors. But the point is, is that 
there's going to come a day that we're all going to be able to be past these hurts and we will be with our loved ones and you will be in a real way um, made whole. <laughs> so will I in every way. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> yeah. What a what a sense of hope we have in this in the Lord, in the gospel that he absolutely it is it it is tangible and you got your first taste of that at age five but then you were really really tasting the grace of god in the uh in, in the love that you were receiving in these different ways as you came to the lord as an adult what a wonderful story he has been so great and i want to encourage people out there sometimes the fight is long and it's hard okay but god is greater than the fight and the circumstances. And one thing that I thought was miraculous, not just surviving, which most people, yes, that's true, that I'm still here, but was not only the trust in that voice, because it is God's voice that propels me to speak and use mine, but that at a very early age, at that three-year-old age, I knew he gave me the understanding that he was not the one that caused the pain. He was not the one that set that emotion that he gave a gift to people to uh, free will, to do what they want to do freely. And there are three things humans can do. They can do good, they can do evil, or they can do nothing. And two of those are really bad. Mm -hmm. So I understood that he was not the one that caused me the pain. And that was such an amazing illumination if you think about it. You know, how many three to five-year-olds understand something like that, but yet he spoke to my child's heart in a way that I understood and trusted it. So I always looked at life as what do people do? You know, not what, uh, not what we blame God for. You know, a lot of times we blame him for things, but you know, what are our choices? Because he gave us that gift and he can't take it back because he's God and he never lies. Wow. The, the first moment that you came to that point of hope, do you remember how long it would have been? From that point, when you knew you were going to make it, and in spite of the fact that you had gone through those years of such difficulty, such torture, uh, that you were going to make it, how long from that point to when you knew that God was calling you to use your story in such a way as you are today? How long was that period? I would say, uh, let's see, so I started being confident enough to really speak freely without fear of a predator showing up or, I don't know, bad things happening. I think that was um, probably 20 years ago, and a lot of that had to do uh, with my husband. God Mm. brought me a beautiful gift, the most amazing human I've ever known in my life. He didn't want anything from me, didn't have an agenda. He just loved me, you know, and that was just an incredible, an incredible thing. God had been working a lot uh, between my divorce and meeting Ed, uh, my husband of 22 years now, and and he prepared me to receive what he truly designed for me, you know, a man mm-hmm. that would not just stand with me, but for me. And so the best things Ed ever said before we were married was, I don't understand everything you've gone through, Andy, but I will tell you this, I will never leave you, and I will always listen. And that was something we took into our ministry when we started rescuing kids, you know, always being there, always listening, not judging, you know, getting to the root of what can we do? What does God want in this situation? 
And so even though I'd done 80% of, you know, I went through counseling, I even went through residential uh, counseling voluntarily for a couple of months, getting all the identities, you know, figured out and, and all of that stuff, and given the chance to pursue a legal action against uh, both of my birth parents and other people. And at that point, I just thought, I don't want to waste my years, my time mm-hmm. uh, doing this because God had led me to forgive all of them. Wow. What a wonderful he, he, thing. What That's a gift yeah. too. It is a gift. It's a great gift because, you know, when you forgive that person their debt, you now own that debt. You still have to deal with the pain, but that forgiveness is for you, not for them. You know, you mentioned something, and I, I, I want to go back to it just for a moment, because I think you could speak in a wonderful way to help people that might be in that kind of a scenario, and, and they haven't gotten married yet, but th- they might be close to marrying the wrong person. Because often people yeah. who are victims, they will jump at maybe the first opportunity, even though everyone around them is going, no, no, don't do that. That would not be a good thing for you. You you jumped into this not realizing, obviously, that he was going to be an abusive uh, husband. But uh, what what advice would you give to help people really stay away from that? Well, I would definitely not tell God what you want, okay? I would let God fill in, as I call the silhouette. So I journaled a little bit during those years, and uh, I really wanted to know, should I should I go it alone like, you know, Paul, or am I meant to be partnered up? And if I'm meant to be partnered up, you know, great, uh, please bring that person. You know, I, 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 I prayed to God that he would bring that person, or if I was going to be partners with God only, you know, in my life, please make it clear. So in my prayers, as I began writing, I just imagined a silhouette, and uh, I asked the Lord to fill that in according to his will for me, not mm-hmm. what I wanted. You know, I had a few little things, you know, dancing was a plus, but not required, you know, things like that. But but I wanted a godly man, sense of humor, you know, someone who would love me. Uh, you know, as God, as God's treasure, and I would love him as God's treasure. Oh, yes. So the time came, I could feel that I felt like I was close to whoever he had prepared for me. And this is where a lot of singles or people that have been divorced, like you said, they want love, they, they're desperate, you know, to have that companionship. I get that. I almost made a couple of really bad mistakes. But again, the Lord, you know, superseded those mistakes. Um, and I promise I would never take second best. So please, one, you know, make sure that who you're dating or who you're bringing home, if you have kids and you're dating, you know, a divorce, whatever, um, if you're single, that it's someone God desires for you that that would that would suit you. Because sometimes it takes longer for partners to be prepared for the other one. And if you shortcut that process. It's going to be painful, and I can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Eight and a half years of painful, and I stood in that marriage because I thought I owed God my promise. Mm-hmm. You know, I promised God I would stay in this marriage no matter how bad it was, and that's not what He desires. So when the time came, I let Him fill in that silhouette, and it was extraordinary. I would never have guessed that Ed would be my my husband, and he would never guess that a, a short, curvy redhead would be his wife. But you know. God delighted both of us because he had prepared both of us to complement each other, not fill in the holes or the blanks of each other. So we each were whole. 
I think a lot of people do exactly what you're saying. They kind of uh, list it out, and they're not really asking God. They're more like telling God what what they want and what the, what will work for them. But God knows best, doesn't he? He does. And the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had. Mm, that's well said. Wishing you had waited on the Lord rather than yeah. jumping earlier and getting yourself in further problems. That's what happens. And again, through having been a pastor for many, many years, it is not unlike uh, humans, we humans, to uh, make the same mistake practically all over again in marriage. And uh, yeah. that that happens a lot of times. But uh, I am grateful for your husband, for Ed, that he came around and that he was... He was God's best for you, and yeah. and that worked out for you, and I am so grateful. And to have that kind of um, healing in your life, relationally speaking, not only uh, that covered the first failed abuse in, in your first marriage, but in a greater way, that whole advice that he gave you about, oh, we're always going to be listening. I'm never going to leave you. The power of a spouse making that kind of commitment to a hurting heart such as yours, that really means the world, doesn't it? It does. And he was willing to wait and sacrifice, you know, whatever time it took for me to be okay with it. I tried to run, you know, because my heart was scared after having had a failed marriage. And for those of you who are in that situation, I get it. Um, Ed practiced his proposal on our second date, and we were engaged, you know, and married nine months later. But but uh, during that time, God spoke to my heart, and he, ca- he called me out. He said, this man will not do what others have done to you. You need to stay Wonderful. because I'm, I'm giving him to you. Wow. That is such a great thing. Uh, if you can hang on, we're going to take a break here, and then we will— uh, if you've got the time, we can uh, go more into this. There's a couple of other questions that I'd love to hear. All right. Absolutely. My, my, my guest today is Andy Berger, and we'll be back with her in a moment. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike here on The Shepherd. So enjoy getting to know Andy Berger from Voices Against Trafficking. Uh, Andy's story is compelling. It is heartbreaking. Uh, and it is joyful. Now you think, how can it be all of those? Well, when God redeems a hurting heart, one that is hurt, really, no, no kidding about it, for the first 20 years of her life, 20 plus years of her life, she dealt with the torture of, of a lifetime time uh, and a childhood that was wrapped up in human trafficking. And the stories uh, that we've heard are, uh, they've only just got to be multiplied and magnified in your own life because you not only have heard those stories, you live those stories. Those were you and our heart goes out to you, Andy. I wish there was something that we could do that we could snap our fingers and make it all go away. I know that's not possible. But I am grateful for the grace of God, which is really working in your life. And it's clear that he's done this work in your heart. I'm so grateful. As am I. And thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, during the time that we were living in today, uh, a couple of other things have been going on that uh, one may think, well, that made it better, right? Um, We've all come through a pandemic and 
how has, from your perspective and in the work that you are doing to bring awareness and to bring an end to this human trafficking, how did the pandemic affect things from your standpoint? Well, from my standpoint, not only did we lock down kids, we locked down predators, basically, not just familial ones, but any any adult that, you know, maybe spent time at the home, the apartment, wherever. So what we saw was a drastic increase in one, domestic violence, you know, frustration, anger, things like that happen, an uptick in child abuse because... You know, no matter how great a parent is, how good they are, well-intentioned, you know, frustrations, anger, things like that, economic pressures, that all plays into it. And when you're locked down and locked up uh, and your kids are there all the time, uh, you know, that that can create situations that wouldn't normally happen. So we saw an uptick in child abuse. Uh, We lose five kids a day in the U.S. to child abuse, and most of them are under the age of five years. So it's a serious issue, and that exacerbated it. And then finally, to your point, uh, we know that the uh, instances of human trafficking uh, rose. Again, we can only go what's uh, what's reported, which is just a very small percentage of what really happens, because most victims are too shamed or too guilt-ridden or feel they won't be heard or, or helped, so they won't report if, if they're alive. You know, And some of them are just flat out, unfortunately, their lives are ended by traffickers when they're no mm. uh, good to them anymore. Can you give us a, a range of the kind of traffickers that are out there? Because they, they are wide and varied, right? I mean, it's not just like one type of person. Sometimes, and we, and we heard a story, uh, I saw a video just a couple of days ago of a recent confession up in Indiana by a pastor, uh, and then the, the victim was actually there, and he began abusing her when she was 16 years old and uh, took her virginity and it stayed silent all these years for for years it stayed silent so there's a a range of the profiling of these traffickers right Absolutely. Just because someone goes to church or somebody is a leader, say, um, you know, in a in a daycare or educational situation or places that are supposed to be safe, you know, baseball field, anything like that, does not mean that they're all good. Like, oh, well, he teaches Sunday school. They're fine, you know, or, hey, she she teaches the little kids. She must be okay because, you know, the church wouldn't have her or the school wouldn't have her. But we have not done our due diligence in finding out more about who spends time with our children when we aren't. Yes. Okay. We put things in storage to protect them. We have bars around windows. We have fences around playgrounds. We protect those things, but we don't put as much time, thought, energy, and resources into how to protect our children, Mm -hmm. how to have those conversations about protection protecting them, not policing them, especially when they get into that, you know, preteen, teenage era where you got hormones and you've got emotions and you've got all kinds of things going on, okay, in those those young lives. And then you add, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? That kind of stuff. We can't lock them up in a closet and keep them there. That is not the answer. Uh, one of the answers or solutions that we we promote a lot is 
opening up a conversation. If you don't know how to do that, there are resources. You know, our website, we have a handbook out now. Uh, people can get there. Are a lot of resources, qualified ones, speakers like myself who will talk to churches, groups, virtually, whatever. Uh, that's what we do. We want it to make sure that information is accessible to parents, to godparents, to grandparents, to the guardians of your children. Think of all the university scandals. Think about the, the recent teacher scandals because we leave our kids without an escape plan, mm-hmm. without a safety net to talk to us brutally, honestly. Somebody's bullying me and it's the teacher mom or, you know, this person wants me to to uh, be with them in the custodian's closet or whatever. We don't allow those conversations without either getting mad at our kids or overreacting. And so one of the things I try to do, Mike, is invite adults that are in charge of kids. One, open up that opportunity for your kids to talk to you. Know that they are totally safe to tell you anything, even if they've made a poor judgment, because who hasn't in mm-hmm. their life, right? Right. And not not overreact or judge them for it. You can always figure that part out later, you know, but right now your child is in trouble and they need you. Okay, Mm -hmm. so being available for that. The second thing is I encourage families, create a safe word. You said you have children, you have teens. So create a safe word that your immediate family knows or phrase. So if one of your teens maybe gets in a situation where they feel uncomfortable, they feel threatened, or they just think something's off and they want to come home or they need help, they text that to you and you know, drop what you're doing, go get them or go help them or have a safe place that you can meet at. Because this way, they have a chance to communicate without it being obvious to the people around them until you can figure out the, the you know, situation. Yes, getting a safe word, a phrase, something that they can say, and it would not tip off any other people, but you would know what it is. Exactly. You as a dad would know, oh, okay, my daughter needs me right now, got to go, or whatever it is. Uh, So that's something the family has to have a conversation about. Again, not policing, but protecting. Right. And and then there's this whole thing that grandparents can play a role. It's one thing for mom and dad to know all of these things, but grandparents can often be the real difference makers because they're involved and they have a relationship that might be a little different than mom and dad. But in some kids' lives, uh, the doors are open with grandparents. So really be, being a good listener is a real key, isn't it? It really is because sometimes they may not say it directly, but you can kind of read between the lines and figure out what's going on. Uh, We can't presume that the teacher is always right or that the coach is always right. We We have to trust and verify, basically. We have to trust that our child's trying to tell us something. If we can't figure it out, you know, then we need to to be detectives, so to speak, you know, look at their phones, look at their history on the computer, whatever it is, see if you can figure it out. If you can't, then maybe, you know, get a counselor or look into who have they been with and when did the behavior change or when did the shyness show up all of a sudden, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is also very good. Uh, You know, when you think about, again, uh, young people today, uh, we're living in in an affluent uh, state, a wonderful state, the state of Florida around here. And I know you're you're not from here now. Where are you exactly right now? 
I'm in Central Oregon, Bend, Oregon. Most people know that, so I'm just outside of Bend, Oregon. Okay, so you're on the opposite side, practically, of our country. But people in Florida are are free to move about. There's been a lot of freedom. Well, that has been both a good thing, and then for those that are are being trafficked, it obviously opens up the door for more illicit type of behavior to be there. So it really is important for parents, for grandparents, and not just that, for friends to keep their ears yeah. open and their their minds open to kids who might just be uh, trying to send a message, trying to drop a hint, if you will, that there are some things going on in my life that aren't right. Isn't that correct? Exactly. Spot on. Uh, peer-to-peer vetting is so critical. And and again, going back to whatever the family unit looks like, whether it's single parent, double parent, grandparent, whatever that is, not just the safe word, but the constant modeling or reminder to look out for your siblings, look out for your friends, you know, buddy up. I'm sure, you know, we had recent headlines about the, the girl who was taken from the Dallas Mavericks game. And I'm sure that father will forever remember that moment when she left, you know, to go up to the restroom and didn't come back. Nobody wants to experience that. Oh, it's horrible. Horrible. Uh, Give us your website. You mentioned it, and we'll give it again at the end of this segment. But I want to make sure people can get that because you do offer help. You do speak at church groups and civic groups and other organizations. I know that um, you could help a lot of people. Uh, both through your direct involvement and your website. So give us that website. Absolutely. VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. It's VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. We have helplines and hotlines. Highly recommend you putting those into your phones right now today. If you have teens that are old enough to understand what those hotlines are for, make sure they have them in the phones. That's one way to be prepared. Uh, We also have ways to contact us to add your voice to our campaign to to win the fight against human trafficking. There are ways to donate, to uh, get our book. We're a 501c3, so all of the public awareness, all the resources we bring, you know, we rely on folks to uh, help us with that. So uh, we would love to have your support. Uh, we're in, engaged in a couple of documentaries right now so we can continue getting the word out in a bigger way across the country. So all of that takes time, energy, and resources. It does. And I know you're busy. You speak on podcasts. I've seen a few of them. You do a great job when you speak. In addition to all of this, you're an author. You've written a book. Uh, The book is called Voices Against Trafficking, The Power of Many Voices Speaking Together. Tell us a little bit about this book. This book, again, was one of those God nudges in the middle of the night where you can't sleep because (laughs) And keeps poking at you. And for me, it was, I kept hearing more voices. Andy, your voice is good, but more voices are better. And and this is what I want you to do. And so I created Voices Against Trafficking. Uh, our shelter was in the process of closing due to lack of funding after 14 years. So um, he, this was expanding my tent pegs. And so um, this is a collective uh, a collection of voices, uh, nonprofits, corporations, individuals, anybody uh, of age can add their voice to our roster and say, I want to be part of the solution. You know, what can I do? And and we'll give them information. We get calls across the country and we intercede in the rescues and assist in rescues of victims and active cases. Sometimes it just depends. But 
You know, God called me to go and get the cast out, the downtrodden, the others, others that had given up on, and to tell those people that they're chosen to be God's precious jewels. And mm-hmm. so I'm a treasure hunter. Uh, peculiar treasures are my specialty. And so I'm hoping others will help me go find those treasures that still need to know Jesus, that still are crying out for a God that will help them the way he helped me. Oh, he has helped you. It's clear, and you can uh, hear it in your voice. So grateful. Andy Berger, thank you so much for being with us. Give us your website one more time. Yes, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Andy Berger, thank you so much. We'll have to have you back on my program in the future. Thank you again for spending this time with our audience. Absolutely. Thank you so much. God bless. And friends, thanks for joining us on yet another program. We'll see you next time on Afternoons with Mike.